We're talking about repositioning. We're talking about repositioning. And I said to you last week that there are battles and there are battles. And what some people describe as battles are not really battles. If I have a headache because of something that I ate that had certain preservatives, and then I go and I take a panado, and I get better after 15 minutes, how many of you know that that's not really a battle? But if I've got a headache, and I end up taking some medication, praying and praying and praying, and then going to the doctors, and then they examine me, then I have a brain scan, and I still have that headache. How many of you know that that's a battle? And very often what people label as battles are not really battles. And how you diagnose something will determine your solution. So sometimes we label things and we say, I am experiencing a spiritual battle here and we begin to pray, but it's not really a battle, it's just a consequence of our own foolishness. Remember we spoke about that. And one of the things the Lord has been ministering to me is that a key aspect of our warfare is how we are positioned. And I shared with you that I was wrestling with one of my boys. My boys as in one of my kids, not like my friends. I don't wrestle with my friends. Okay? In case you're having some kind of image of me somewhere out there doing those MMA type of things. No, I don't do that. And he was trying to push me down. But because of my positioning, he was not able to do so. When it comes to wrestling in the spirit, when it comes to battling in the spirit, your positioning is key. Amen? Amen. How many of you know those people who position themselves so that they're not slain in the spirit in churches? <laughs> those people who come for prayer and they're like, I am not falling. I am definitely not falling. And you see them, pastor, pray for me. And they're positioned like this. Okay? It happened one time in the Eastern Cape. There was a particular, there were a number of individuals and they're like, I'm not going to fall. And they went up against the wall so that they don't fall backwards. And the particular minister, it was a number of years ago, he said, right now in the next five seconds, the Holy Spirit is going to come down and people are going to begin to fall. One, two, and these guys are up against the wall because they don't want to be slain in the spirit. Three, four, five, and then they fall down forward. <laughs> but how many of you know that your positioning spiritually determines your effectiveness spiritually? And last week we spoke about some key areas and I'm going to continue. And I've identified a number of areas where God would have us reposition ourselves. There's not an exhaustive list. Last time we spoke about number one, positioning yourself with regards to your marriage. Remember that. And I said to you that if you're single, it's to do with how you relate to the opposite sex. Amen. And the second area we spoke about is how you're positioned with regards to your church leaders. That's crucial. That's warfare. Amen. And so we continue today. And my third point is repositioning in your parenting. Repositioning in your what? Repositioning in how you parent. And some of you will say to me, but Paul, I don't have kids. How many of you know that God in his mind invented the whole concept of parenting? And how many of you know that we're all called to parent? You might be parenting your biological kids or you might be a spiritual parent who's discipling. The principles are the same. Amen. Amen. Proverbs 22 verse 6. 
It says, start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now, does it say, start children off in the way they think they should go? It says, start children off in the way they should go. And when they are older, they won't turn from it. I believe that we are in the era right now of the obedient parent. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The obedient parent. Where some of you, you get home, and what are you saying? What do my kids want to eat? What do my kids feel like doing this week? What music do my kids want to watch? What videos do they want to watch? Oh, honey, Samuel, or whatever your kids' names are, Simpiwe, Tabo, Tabo doesn't feel like going to church today, so I think we better just chill. Yeah, because Tabo is tired. But when I read my Bible, it tells me very clearly that I must train up. Some translations say train up. I must train up children in the way they should go. Now, it doesn't say preach to children in the way they should go. You see, as Christians, we always think the solution is preaching. We try to preach away problems. Have you noticed that? If there's any problem, just preach it away. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. How many of you know that training requires some form of coaching? Training requires some form of observation. If you're never there to observe, how can you correct? Training requires some form of discipline. If you look at the word discipline, it's, it's rooted in the same core word as the word disciple. How many of you know that discipling someone involves discipline? Amen? So as I look at scripture, I see it says, Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Children don't know what will make them happy. Children don't know what? Children don't know what will make them happy. Adults don't know what will make them happy. Do you know that research has found that as human beings, we're very poor predictors of what will make us happy. We're not, that's just something we're not good at as human beings. So you'll find someone saying, if only I can just find a guy who will marry me, a guy who will engage me, how people speak, right? Um, a guy, he must be a guy who's a go-gurter. He's a real go-gurter pastor, right? Then I'll be happy. No, you have to learn to be single and content. If you're not single and content, don't think that getting married to that guy who's a go-getter suddenly will make you joyful and, oh, I'm so happy. <sighs> Finally. No, we are poor predictors of our true source of joy. Amen? And so if your child says, mommy, 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 I want this. Give me, give me, give me, my name is Jimmy. Not this Jimmy, but you know. Give me, give me, give me, my name is Jimmy. If your kids are like that, have you noticed that the thing they wanted for their birthday or the thing they wanted, that toy they wanted for Christmas, where is it now? Where is it now? After one day, it either breaks or they're now into something else. But they were so desperate for it, like this, this, oh, if I just get it, I'll be so happy. I believe that as a nation, 
parents need to rise up. Whether you're parenting your nephews, your nieces, people in your community, God has called you as an adult to know which way children should go and to guide them along in the right direction because they don't always know. Because that's why they're children and that's why they need parents. Amen? And we live in a society that is unfathered. We live in a society that is unparented. I was speaking to Sally Ann and she was talking about the community that she grew up in. And she said she can count on her fingers only about two people in her community that grew up with a mom and dad in the house. Most of them were raised by grandparents. Are you feeling me this morning? Start children off in the way they should go. And even when they're old, they will not depart from it. It does not say train up a child in the ways of the world and hopefully somewhere along the line they'll get the right mind and the right way of living and be obedient to godly values. It doesn't say that. And you see what we're doing today is we're leaving parenting to chance, aren't we? That Lord, you know, just because I've got good DNA... And I've produced these wonderful, beautiful kids. Somehow I'm sure it will work out. No. Doesn't work that way. We have to be intentional. One of the things I find interesting is we say to our children things like, do not be selfish. Build each other up. That's one of the things I keep saying to my kids. But ask yourself the question, what are they renewing their minds with? What type of songs do they really like? Because I'm finding myself saying to my boys, guys, don't diss each other. Was that upbuilding? I remember one time one of them said, you know what, what so-and-so said to me was downbuilding. Dad, it wasn't upbuilding. They're inventing their own words, right? But what I find interesting is they were watching a movie just the other day and it, it was quite a fun, quite an interesting movie. And these guys were freestyling, you know, with rap music where you freestyle. But now in, in the town, I don't know what they're called in the United States, but the townships, the Bronx, etc. In the United States, they would diss each other when they would freestyle. Right? They, that's how they would do it. And I remember my one son got so excited after watching this movie. And he was coming up to me and was like, hey, dad, dad, dad. And he was dissing me. And I realized here we are continuously saying, say things that are upbuilding. Say things that are upbuilding. But what are they listening to? Are you hearing me? Very often we say, don't worship yourself. That's meology. We say focus on God. It's all about God. Let's be broken. Let's be humble. But most of the hit songs today that our children are listening to, what are the lyrics? I gotta kiss myself. I'm so pretty. Right? Come on. That's what's happening. How many songs actually build up someone else? How many songs actually reflect brokenness? Just think about it. So we're in an era where we have to train up our children how to discern for themselves. How when they watch a movie, because there'll always be some degree of junk in some movie, but how when they watch it to have a conversation afterwards and to say, was it good what that person did to their mother? Was it great how they responded to that situation? And we're in an era where we have to train up the next generation how to critique what's going on in society and not just take it in like it's all good. Amen. Amen. 
parents have the primary responsibility to educate their children. I'll say it again. Parents have the primary responsibility to educate their children. It's your primary responsibility. It's not the government's responsibility. When you send your child to school, you are delegating your authority. You're delegating it to the teachers. And they're supposed to represent and reflect your values. And when they stop reflecting what you believe, it's time to actually rethink your schooling choice for your child. It's time to make that decision and to say, you know what? It's fine then this school, is it okay? Can we manage this situation? And if you can't, don't con yourself. Don't continue sending them to, I don't care what private school it is. I don't care how fancy it is. I don't care whether it was the school that you were at and you're sending your kids to that same school traditionally. It's time for us to say, wait a minute. I am delegating authority to those teachers. Are they still reflecting our values? Amen. Parents have the primary responsibility to educate their children. The church has the secondary responsibility in education. So while as parents we're supposed to disciple our children, at the same time we're supposed to send them to good churches who will reinforce the word in them. But it's not something we abdicate and we say it's the, it's the church's primary responsibility. No. As a parent, it's your primary responsibility. The church just has a secondary responsibility. Amen? Amen. The state is not responsible for the education of children. Now, when you live in nations that have been influenced very strongly by socialism and socialistic ideals, a lot of times we look to government as the source of good education and government sorts itself out, then everything will be fixed. It's fine, you can say that. But then you'll have a problem when your kids come home and they start telling you some of the things that they're being taught at school. I believe it's time that as Christians, we raise up educators who will play a role in reinforcing Christian values in schools. I believe that we're in a time and we're in an era, we're in a season where parents have to rise up and take responsibility for the education of their kids. How many teachers do we have here? We've got mom T, I know. How many, how many teachers do we have here? Just raise your hands. Yes, Kudzi. How many, how many teachers? Two, three? I think there are a few more. Every teacher here will agree with me that it's really great when the parents get hands-on involved in the education of their children instead of abdicating. Amen. Biblical Christian education and parenting should not be left to chance. That's the principle. Now, as I speak to you about parenting, some of you might switch off because you might say, ah, I'm nowhere near being a parent right now. And you might be switching off. But I want you to listen with two ears. One ear is preparing you for parenting one day, hopefully. The other ear is examining how were you parented? How were you raised? Because we begin to understand that we have to unlearn certain things. Our parents were not perfect. Our parents raised us up in the way that they, they thought we should go. Amen? 
So they were not perfect. But you begin to really understand yourself when you see how you were parented yourself. So can we do that? Can we listen with two ears? Amen? Now, in the book Bringing Up Boys by James Dobson, it's interesting. He talks about how particularly with boys, you literally have to help them and to be intentional about keeping them civilized. Or stopping them from becoming uncivilized. Those of you who've hung around small boys, you know what I'm talking about. Do you know that there's research that has been carried out that actually helps kids to deal with things cognitively, intellectually, to reason when it comes to problem solving instead of just going and fighting? I believe that it's a sign of intellectual laziness when kids just resort to fighting. Let me just punch my brother because he's not playing the way I want him to play. I'll just punch him. <laughs> Instead of actually stopping and pausing and thinking through, wait a minute, what does he want? Wait a minute, what do I want? How can we negotiate this? I'm telling you right now, as we raise children, as we disciple people, a key aspect of discipleship is teaching people how to solve problems with other people. I work as a coach, I, do, I work as an executive coach in organizations, and a key thing I deal with is conflict and giving people tools to help them to resolve conflict. How many of you know that some people were never taught these things at school? They were taught in the home because their parents helped them with their siblings to resolve issues instead of, let me just beat them up. No thinking. Let's check out the brains. Let's just fight. And you see them as adults today still doing that. I like what, there's a guy called uh, Will Durant. And he says, from barbarism to civilization requires a century. But from civilization to barbarism requires only but a day. Have you noticed that? Guys who were cannibals, who used to eat each other. For them, historically, to move from a place of doing that to a place where they're quite civilized, usually it's years and years and years. But have you noticed that you can go to a nation, like what happened in the genocide in Rwanda in 1994, where there are people, Rwanda said it was 80% Christian. If you looked at the stats before, 80% Christian. How can people say, hey, my brother, my sister, hey, let's go to Go Group together. I don't think they call them Go Groups, small groups together. Let's go, oh, let's fellowship. And the next day, with machetes, people are killing each other. It can happen in just one day. You see, a lot of us in this nation, we're very religious. We're very religious, so we will say our prayers. We'll even read our Bibles. But our worldview, our view of the world isn't always Christian. It's not always biblical Christian. And we'll go into that at some point. There's a lady. She was quite prominent in the 60s. A psychologist called Diana Dormrand. And she popularized the notion of basic parenting styles. Those of you who've got that background, you might have read McCoby and other people who did research there. But it's been found that there are four basic parenting styles. 
And as I take you through these, I want you to ask yourself, what's my parenting style? Is it biblical? Am I reflecting the father heart of God? Am I reflecting Christ to my children with my parenting style? How am I cooperating with my husband, if you have one, or my wife, if you have one, in parenting my kids? And then ask yourself, how was I raised and how did that impact me today? Are you ready? The first one is the authoritative parent. And I believe that this is the biblical model for parenting. The authoritative parenting. This person is strong on discipline and strong on affection. So they're very affectionate and loving, but at the same time, they've got rules, they've got guidelines. And research has found that those types of parents, on average, produce the, the most well-adjusted kids. We're talking here this morning about repositioning yourself in how you parent. Are you hearing me this morning? You see, many of us don't do this because we do what we call compensation parenting. Compensation parenting is where if your parents were very strict with you, you then say, oh, that was harsh, that was too strict, it was too extreme, and then you go the other extreme. I remember meeting a particular lady some years ago, and we were talking about discipline of children, and she said, no, Paul, I'm not like that with my kids. We kind of have a self-regulating process where they figure out things on their own. No, Paul, we're not into boundaries. We're into boundaryless parenting. We just allow our kids to create their own boundaries. It's healthier. That's what we're doing. Then I said to her, were you raised by very strict parents? She said, oh, my parents were so, so, so strict. And they made an inner vow that I will never be like my parents. Now, when we talk about spiritual parenting, the same thing happens. If you come from a church that had strict rules and regulations, what happens? You find this person gracifying everything and going to this other extreme where... I remember one time preaching a sermon and I was giving a guideline. This is how you can have your quiet time. This is how you can... Giving a guideline. And I said to the one person who was there, they're not from this church, and I said, how did you find the service they were visiting? They said, oh, worship was great. Worship was great. So how did you find the message? Oh, you know what? I've had so much law, hey? So much law in my past and so on. So when you, I'm thinking I'm giving tools to say this is how you can press in deeper with God. This is how you can have your devotion. They're not rules and regulations, but many people need guidelines. So my question to you is, in your approach to discipling people, are you authoritative in the sense of you will love strong, but you will also be firm? Or have you gone to another extreme because you were hurt in the past? Are you hearing me this morning? The kids who come out of these homes are happy, they're capable, they're successful. Requests to these kids are seen as fair and reasonable. And because of that, they internalize these requests as their own. Do you ever have it when you're telling your kids what to do, but you tell it in such a way that they've internalized it and they also believe in those values? Then the other times you tell people what to do, you give them the guidelines, but you can see they're only doing it because they're afraid of you. The second type of parenting style is the authoritarian. The authoritarian. This type of parent 
is so strong on discipline. Everything is to do with control. Everything is to do with fear of punishment. But very low on affection. Very low on affection. How many of you grew up in families like that? Okay. How has it affected you today? The mindset of the parent is it's my way or the highway. Shape up or ship out. This is the type of parent who doesn't explain the why behind the rules. They don't explain the why behind the guidelines. The child says, but why are we doing it this way? Because they want to internalize it. And the parent just says, because I said so. <laughs> Which is sometimes an intellectually lazy approach. Now you want the child to grow up obeying you and obeying your voice, but you also want to take time to explain. Now guys, this is crucial because when you are raised in such an environment, you find that if you have a pastor in church, then giving you a general guideline about something. I've had situations where I'm kind of throwing out ideas and I'm saying, guys, I think we need to do this and I'm fairly passionate about it. And someone might hear it like, oh, I feel like the law is just being placed on me. And I'm thinking, no, let's discuss it. Let's tweak it a little bit. Some of you are very sensitive in that area. Why? It's because of what you've experienced. When you understand how you learned certain behavior, it's easier for you to unlearn it. Are you hearing me this morning? Do this because I say so. There's no explanation of the rules. The emphasis is just your status as a parent. I am your father! Now, if you have to keep talking about how I am your father, you must respect me. It means somewhere along the line, the bond is missing. Researchers found that the stronger the bond between mother and daughter, the stronger the bond between father and son, father and daughter, the stronger the bond between parent and child, the more likely the child is to obey the parent. And please note, when we look at all this research, there are other factors that come into play. That's why you can parent your kids beautifully and let's say you've got four children, three of them turn out great and the other one, because of external variables, turns out different. So it's not an exact science. Are you hearing me? Okay. I want to encourage you, and authoritarian parents are, good at this, are not good at this. Let your kids use their imagination. How many of you know that kids who use their imagination strongly in play end up performing better academically? But very often we've got this thing with our kids where it's kind of like they're playing too much. What are you doing playing? Work, work, work. Why? What's that playing? No. Kids learn through play. Amen? So my question to you is, do you play with your children? Did your parents play with you? And what has that done to you? I see some people, it's very awkward nowadays. It's like, hey, ah, play. <laughs> they don't know what to do. How many of you know that Jesus, Jesus had the, 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 the gospel speak about the disciple whom Jesus loved. And do you remember how John would lay his head on Jesus' chest? There was healthy affection. Amen? The third type of parent is the permissive parent. The permissive parent. 
This is the parent who's given up. They've tried to discipline their children all these years, but they've given up. Because it's like, ah, it's just not working with this one. For some of you, you come from backgrounds where your parents gave up on you. It's like, this one is so hard-headed. So the parent becomes permissive. They become more like a friend. Because very often when you're parenting, you want to be liked by your kids, don't you? You want to be popular with your kids. And so what happens, they become more like a friend. They're affectionate, but they're not assertive. They're affectionate, but not assertive. There are no significant rules in the house. No significant rules in the house. Everything is flexible. There are no boundaries. How many of you know that when it comes to boundaries, the boundaries that we have, when it comes to the boundaries that we have, you have rigid boundaries on one extreme. You've got collapsed boundaries on the other extreme. God has called us to build up healthy boundaries. If you are too permissive as a parent today, you have an opportunity to reposition yourself with regards to parenting. You know that it's been found that children don't actually want limitless freedom with no boundaries. They don't want that. Very often I'll have my kids coming up to me and they'll say, so what are the rules? So what did you say? So how's it gonna work? But tell us the rules. They're looking for boundaries. And sometimes our mindset is, no, they just don't want boundaries. No, they feel insecure when they know boundaries. Are you a parent today who's given up? Ask yourself, have you given up? Have you felt, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, and you've actually given up? I want to encourage you not to give up. I want to encourage you to seek God's face, and he will give you solutions. And once you've done all you know to do, I want to encourage you not to feel guilty. I want to encourage you to allow your children to end up, especially as they grow older, to take responsibility for their own lives. You were given a window and you did what you knew to do. Now they have to make their own decisions. Don't keep going to yourself saying, I'm a bad mother, oh, I'm a bad father. You did what you knew to do. Amen. You see, with the permissive parent the children end up with very low levels of happiness and very low levels of self-regulation in other words they don't know how to regulate themselves they don't know how to stop themselves from doing wrong things they've got no boundaries some of them become narcissistic self-love it's all about me There's low, lower performance at school and they're more likely to struggle with authority figures. It's so interesting when your kids are playing with other kids because that's where you see the difference, isn't it? I remember I was adjudicating something between two of my boys recently and they were playing with a friend from the estate, a friend, and the friend also came in. And you know, there's always, they, they're different stories when it comes to things like this, when you're playing ref as a parent. But it was interesting because I was addressing an issue with my boys. At a certain point, they wanted to talk back. They wanted to explain something back. And this other guy was there, was like, don't talk back to your father. I was like, oh, 
Oh, interesting. He's definitely coming from a different family here. And then one of them tries to say, Yeah, but then, and he, this guy just. And I say to this guy, his name is Jordan. He's a young guy called Jordan, not this Jordan, but another Jordan. And I say to him, Hey, Jordan, I like it. And I think he felt affirmed by that, you know, because now he was really playing this role like controlling my kids. The next type of parenting style is the uninvolved or absent parent. Very often this parent is abusing some kind of substance. They're low on discipline and low on affection. Sometimes they're there, but they're not there. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's where, you, where we say, how were you raised? And you say, you know what, pastor? I know my dad loved me. I'm sure he did because he provided. Did you feel loved? You know what, um, pastor, I know, I'm sure he loved me because, you know, he provided. Did you feel affection from him? You know what, he did what, what he knew to do, what was best for, and it's very difficult to say, I grew up and I felt the feeling of love. How many of you know that you can only pass on what you have inside of you? So we have what we call the absent parent or the uninvolved parent. They're detached. Detached. And that affects kids. And I think we need to be strong in our parenting around rules concerning social media. Because you see, if you're relaxing at home and your kids are talking to you, but you're always on some kind of WhatsApping someone or... You know those people when, when their WhatsApp goes, it's like it's a crisis. It's like, let me just check. Oh, let me just check. Pavlov's dogs, you know, the theory of conditioning. The moment you hear that buzz. And what, how to let's be honest. How do your children react to that? They're like, how come you guys are always texting? How come you guys are always, how come you are... And they can feel rejected because what it communicates sometimes is, you know what? You're not important enough for me to be fully present when I'm with you. Let me say to you, it's better to actually say, cheers guys, I need to actually go and do some work. You go and you do your work, you do whatever you have to do because they understand dad has to go to do work. Then you come back and when you're interacting with them, you're fully present. There's a particular person, this also affects marriages, by the way. There's a particular person I coach, a very senior person, and this person is a workaholic or a recovering workaholic. And one of the principles they came up with recently is to have a gadget-free bedroom. Gadget-free in terms of <laughs> gadget. They said, we're going to have a gadget-free bedroom. And she said to me, Paul, it's amazing. Ever since I made a decision that we won't have phones doing all sorts of things, phones and so on, it's amazing the impact it's had on my marriage. Are you hearing me? As a parent, don't know where some people's minds are. As a parent, have you become detached? Have you become self-absorbed? Have you become indifferent, low on affection, and low on discipline? What's happened is that it produces children with lower levels of self-control, 
low self-esteem, and they're less competent than their peers. What are you like as a result of how you were raised? So there's the authoritative parent, there's the authoritarian parent, there's the permissive parent, and there's the uninvolved or absent parent. Amen? May God reposition us in how we are parenting. I encourage you to be authoritative, strong on discipline, but strong on affection. I want to give you the fourth one and then I'll close. Repositioning in your relationship with the church. Repositioning yourself in relation to the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 to 43. It says here, Those who embraced his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the believers that day. About 3,000 in one day were added to the believers. Now I want to ask you a question. These people who were added to the believers, were they just added to a crowd? Did they just become part of a crowd? Did they just become a number? Firstly, the fact that they could say 3,000 were added, it means that they were counted in. My question to you this morning is, have you been counted in? Do you know people here and are you known? Are you hearing me? About 3,000 were added to the believers that day. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Now what is interesting here is they were added and they were devoted. How does God want us to be positioned in relation to the local church? He expects of every believer to be added to a local church and then to be devoted to certain things in the local church. Are you hearing me? The New Testament believers, they were added and they were devoted. This is similar to what Sean was saying earlier on. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then it says, a sense of awe came over everyone and the apostles performed many wonders and signs. How are we going to get the church to be a powerful force in the nation? We get the church to be a powerful force in the nation when the people who come are counted in. They're added and they're devoted to the following things, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then a sense of awe comes over everyone. Amen? In the New Testament, we see this pattern that they were added and they were devoted to certain things. You will always have something that you're devoted to. Every single person in this room is devoted to something. If you look in the Greek, that word devoted means constantly attending to. That's what it means. So when it says they were devoted to prayer, it's basically saying prayer was something they would always go to. Prayer was something they would always arrive at. Prayer was something they would always participate in. That's what devotion means here. You will always have something that you're devoted to. And your devotion determines your positioning. Yeah. 
If I'm devoted to my wife, I will be positioned in a certain manner toward her. When you see someone is not positioned aright in relationship with the church, it means they're not devoted to the church. Are you following? Let me ask you a question. Is it possible to be a Christian but not come to church? Is it possible to be a born-again Christian but not attend church or be devoted to the church? Yes, of course it's possible. There are many people who get born again, many people who got born again right here and they faded away from the church. It's possible, but it's an aberration. Do you know what an aberration is? An aberration is something that is not natural. Think about it. What will you do on your way down to the car park after the service if you just see a hand? Not attached to a body, you just see a hand. There, just before you get to the toilets there, you just see a hand. Do you know what you'll do? You would freak out. That's why in horror movies, when you see a dismembered body, those of you who watch horror movies, I don't watch horror movies. I don't know why people watch horror movies, right? But I know there are few people in this church who like horror movies, okay? But that's why one of the things that gives you goosebumps is seeing, you get goosebumps, don't you? When you see a dismembered body. I remember reading, I think it was on the internet or on a newspaper recently, where they said, we found a dismembered body. We found the hand, we found foot. And what are people doing? They're search parties looking to see where do all these body parts belong? Isn't it? Come on, how many of you are in the medical field here who do emergency work and so on, trauma units, etc. right? Looking to see where does this hand belong so that we can attach it, so that we can see who this person is. It's an aberration when you have Christians who are born again, but they're not connected to the body. And guess what happens? After a while, that hand that is not attached to a body, what happens to it? What happens to the blood circulation? Is the blood still flowing? No. And then what happens? It changes color, doesn't it? Why? No blood flow. Devotion in the dictionary means zealous or ardent in attachment, loyalty, or affection. Zealous or ardent in attachment, loyalty, or affection. My question to you this morning, what's your relationship with the local church? How are you positioned in relationship to the local church. I'm not talking about the universal church. You know what we mean when we say universal church, we're talking about the body of Christ, the mystical body of Christ. Do you know that the majority of what's spoken about, about the church in scripture is not talking about the universal body of Christ. It's talking about the local church because that's where the challenge is. Your problems and your issues aren't with the body of Christ in general. Like, oh, Christ, all Christians everywhere. Your challenges are issues with the local church. And that's where we are sanctified. That's where we grow spiritually. That's where we are changed from the inside out, where we have to deal with our attitude. God created families and he has families of churches. Amen. So what's your relationship with the local church? Have you been counted in or are you just an observer? 
When you come on a Sunday like this, have you been counted in or are you just an observer? And I want to encourage you, if you haven't been living like this, 2017 is an opportunity to actually say, you know what, I need to position myself aright in my relationship with the local church. Don't make this year like last year. It's so interesting. When it comes to family life, your kids eat with you all the time, don't they? Unless you've made plans that today you are going to uncle so-and-so. Tomorrow you are going for a sleepover at your friend's house. So we know you will eat there. And let's just double check. Is what you're going to eat? Is it okay? Yeah, we trust them. It's fine. That's what you do. But as a parent, you plan to have your kids all the time, don't you? You plan, When you're cooking, what, do, what are you doing? You're counting them in. If it's two, if it's one, you're counting them in. Oh, this is my family. I'm feeding them. It's not like you're saying, I don't know. Is Samuel going to be around tonight or not? Oh, I don't. Oh, okay. For the last three weeks, he hasn't been around. Oh, okay. We'll just see. Then he comes back malnourished. In the same way, we are responsible as shepherds in the local church to make sure that you are being nourished well. It's an aberration to have people saying, that's my local church. But I know, yeah, that's where I just, yeah, once every few weeks, yeah, when I feel like it. If I didn't have a difficult Saturday. Difficult Saturdays can be defined in many different ways. (laughs) Amen? And the problem is, in this nation, we've treated local churches like fast food restaurants. What do we feel like today? Nando's? Ah, no. Uh, maybe KFC. Some people call KFC Kids Fattening Center. Uh, there's, there's someone, there's someone from, from my, my, my kids' school who calls it that. Anyway, so my kids were joking about it recently. We treat local churches like that. If you can skip for a while a meal at home, it probably means you didn't have a place there. If you can just be like, I know I'm coming, and then you just pop in whenever you want, it probably means that there's some dysfunctional thing going on in that place. And it's the same with the local church. If you can have five weeks, six weeks of not pitching up, it means you don't have a people spot. And so the starting point in terms of God's expectations of every believer is that in their local church, number one, they have a people spot. A people spot is somewhere where you are known and you know people. A people spot is somewhere where you feel like you are being useful. A people spot is somewhere where you are missed if you are not present. And research has shown that if you haven't found that in four or five weeks, you end up not coming back. This year must not be like last year. If you're in that situation where you've seen churches, sometimes I'll speak to people and I'll say, what church do you go to? And they'll list about three or four places. They'll say, yeah, no, my church is. And then they'll mention somewhere 500 k's away where they grew up, the church they grew up in. It's not your church. It's where, where you're at, where you're being fed right now. Are you hearing me? So what's your church? My my real church, pastor, is this one. But where we usually go, it's here. But my kids like to go to here. So we sometimes go here with them. So who's accountable for watching over you? 
How are you positioned in relation to the church? Are you part of the local body? Can you be a Christian and not to go to church? Yes, you can, but it's an aberration. I want to say something. Don't let your flesh, don't let what goes on in your flesh determine your theology. You see, there's some people who've been hurt and so they become soulish. And they say, yeah, but if Christians just did this, 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 then I would go to church. Instead of saying as your starting point, let me look at the word of God. What does the word of God say? And then we start from there. Amen. So what are God's expectations when it comes to your positioning in relation to the church? Number one, he wants to see that you've found a people's spot. Number two, he wants to see that you are being fruitful. You are being fruitful in the local church. What does that mean? You're competent in ministry. You're competent and you're fruitful. I was saying to the media team the other day, I said, we should take the place, the church to a place of maturity where I can say, Sipo, if Sipo has had to go to Yemen, for example, for work, he should be able to start a church there. He should be mature enough to gather a group of people and then we can send a pastor to oversee the church. Are you hearing me? God is calling us to a place of competence in ministry and fruitfulness in ministry. My question to you is, are you able to baptize someone? Do you know how to baptize someone? My question to you is, are you able to pray for someone so that they receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? My question to you is, are you able to lead someone to the Lord Jesus and pray the sinner's prayer with them? My question to you is, are you able to explain if you're in business, a biblical view of business beyond just how ah, you mustn't lie, you mustn't swindle. Yeah? Are you able to do that? Competence in ministry and fruitfulness. Are you able to lay hands and heal the sick? I still remember when I was still, I think I was still at high school. And I remember a particular lady who we were related to. We went to her house and as we were seated there, there was someone who had quite a hectic disease. And I remember praying for the individual and they felt like fire was going through them and all sorts of things. But it was interesting how this lady who were related to, she was like, oh, I'm translating from my mother tongue. She was like, oh, you know, hey, Paul, Paul frightened me, but frightened as in, in a positive way. Like, hey, he did the laying on of hands. Laying on of hands, Paul. He did the laying on of hands. And I remember thinking to myself, but for me, that's normal. Jesus says, believers will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. But for her, it was a big thing because her church background, some of these things were special sacraments that only the priests do. Only the chosen few do. We believe in the priesthood of believers and God has called us as a priesthood. Every single person here who's born again, God wants you to be competent and fruitful. Amen? God also expects of you to teach other people. The Bible talks about teaching one another. If you study the one another's in scripture, admonish one another, encourage one another, teach one another, right? Teaching one another, worshiping and prayer, reaching the lost, establishing a kingdom community. He's expecting these things of us. 
So, have you found your people's spot? Are you being fruitful? John 15 verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so you might go and do what? Bear fruit. Fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Just look at the logical sequence there. What revelation do you get when you look at the scripture? You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Now, what does it say afterwards? You see, sometimes we go straight to this. We go straight to, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. But how many of you know that it's birthed from a place of fruitfulness? That's why sometimes you look at people being so fruitful and their prayers are just being answered, prayers just being answered from a context of fruitfulness. The third expectation God has with regards to us in the local church that I want to highlight. It's my third and final one. He wants to see that we are accountable. He wants to see that we are accountable. You see, you can come to a church service and sit, but not be accountable. My question to you is, are you being pastored? The way we pastor in this church is we've got these care groups. One of, the, one of the key aspects of go groups is caring. And there are a lot of people who sit and they expect the senior pastor to visit every single person. I've visited quite a number of you, but I can't get round to everyone. I know a particular church where there was a lady, she was sick in hospital, and one of the key pastors, in fact, was the pastor who was used greatly in healing in that particular church. He went and he visited this lady in hospital, and she was upset because the senior pastor hadn't visited her. What's your level of maturity when it comes to those kinds of things? One of the things I've learned about church life is... if something is difficult to obtain or someone is difficult to get into church, it'll be difficult to maintain having them in church. So we'll visit you, visit you, visit you, love you when you're in a crisis. But we'll have to be doing that on a monthly basis just to keep you in church. Are you hearing me this morning? I want to encourage you. I've been doing lots of visitations here. I'm also extremely busy. But we're raising up pastors in the church. We're raising up under shepherds, small group leaders. When they can't deal with certain issues that you have, they take them up further. Now I'm a people person. I love people. And so I will visit when I can. Sometimes in the nature of my work, I've literally got five full days of training. Sometimes in the nature of my work, I'm literally sitting down and I've got 12 back-to-back coaching sessions. And then I'll come afterwards and I'll have five back-to-back marriage counseling sessions or something else okay are you hearing me God wants to take us to a place in the church where we raise up strong pastors where we raise up a community that cares for each other and it's not just one person or two people or three people doing so that's how you grow churches you grow churches when each one is caring for each one are you following Acts chapter 18, verse 24 to 27. Meanwhile, 
a Jew named Apollos. Why aren't people naming their kids Apollos nowadays? Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man. How many of you are learned people here? Come on, guys. It's your time to just shine a bit. <laughs> he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. How many of you have a thorough knowledge of the scriptures? So this guy was quite a legend, wasn't he? Learned, thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor. How many of you speak with great fervor? There are a lot of exhorters in this church. Yeah? You speak with fervor. So you came to the church. You are learned. You speak with great fervor. You've got a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. But watch this. Watch what happened to Apollos. And taught about Jesus accurately. Though he knew only the baptism of John. I don't even know that you can come having learned all sorts of things, but you might find there's a gap that's there. He knew only the baptism of John. So what did he do? Verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home. Can you see this is spiritual parenting? They're seeing this guy great fervor, preaching about Jesus accurately, but they recognize the gaps. It's time we acknowledge the gaps that we have. They recognize the gaps. Do they just say, ah, it's not our responsibility. Priscilla and Aquila had a church that was meeting in their home. And usually what would happen there, by the way, is that when the church met in your home, when it says there was the church that met at Priscilla and Aquila's home, by default, they were the people who were leading that church, just so you know. And let me just throw it out there. If you look in ancient writings, the person who was really overseeing a process is mentioned first. And I find it interesting that it's Priscilla's name that comes first. And that's why many people think that she was quite at the forefront in terms of her knowledge of the word and the ministry gifts. So for those of you who don't agree with women in ministry, just study the scriptures in more depth, thoroughly. Are you hearing me? Okay, Priscilla, last time I checked, that's a female name, amen? I don't know many guys say, yo, what's happening? My name is Priscilla, all right? When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him, this guy is a legend, powerful preacher, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. God has said to us, we'll raise up Timothys in this place who will rise up and launch out and establish churches. But how many of you know that sometimes when you're raising up people, you have to explain to them the way of the Lord more adequately because we've all got gaps, cracks, and leakages. Are you hearing me? Now, some of you are in that space where you want to be raised up, but you're too proud to acknowledge your gaps. That's what the church is for. They took him into their house. They invited him. They explained to him the way of God more adequately. Verse 27, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. That's the network that we want to have. Where we'll have all these go churches all around. And when someone says, oh, but we need to go to Ivory Park. We are now sending a WhatsApp. Okay, we don't need to write a letter. And we'll be saying to the pastors there, hey, there's this brother who's going there. He's got a strong gift in teaching. Please use him there. 
Are you hearing me? It's already started happening. Someone in the church contacted Michael saying, I've got a cousin of mine or a relative of mine and they're based in Pretoria East and they're looking for a church there and this person is a worship leader. Please, can you get hold of them? They're looking for a church. That's how the church is supposed to function. So as quick as possible, people find their people spot. Please, if you're here and for a long extended period of time, you've just been sitting on that chair and you're so proud of yourself because you're like, I listened to the message. I came to church and I'm listening to the message. That's not church. The message we preach on Sunday is the halftime pep talk. The real thing is the game of life after this. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. I leave you with those two thoughts this morning. Number one, have you repositioned yourself with regards to how you're going to parent? And number two, have you repositioned yourself in relation to the local church? Let's pray.